And what's good, y'all? What's good, everybody? Welcome to another episode, first of December 2020, of the Amatelica TIS podcast. Your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here. Midweek episode here on Wednesday, December 2nd, the year 2020. Uh, nice to have you with us here on your favorite, or at least I hope it is your favorite, little uh, sports talk podcast. Um, lots of stuff to talk about here. Recap, of course, the Ravens and the Steelers, which uh, at the time of this recording wrapped up about a half hour or so ago. Recap that right out the gate, do a little something different. Um, And then, of course, recap the week that was in Week 12 of the National Football League with the Titans beating the Colts. The Browns uh, getting clinching their first winning season since 2007. Patriots win over Arizona. The Raiders getting exposed against against, uh, the Atlanta Falcons. Chiefs, Bucks. Seahawks and Eagles, um, and then of course you got the Rams and uh, get to some other things, including the National Basketball Association towards the end of the program. But first things first uh, is the recap: the Steelers and the Ravens game, which just concluded and was played uh, about a f- about a couple of days ago. So, or not a couple of days ago, uh, about a half hour or so ago. Um, and, and I'll get right to it. First up, before I get into the game, you know the NFL was annoyed when this game had to be pushed back to Wednesday afternoon because the NBC, because NBC did not want to get off of their, um, did not want to get off their, uh, get off the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree lighting, uh, deal that they have where they got all the, all the singers performing the Christmas carols and everything else. So you know that the NFL was annoyed that they had to play a game, you know, on a Wednesday in December at 3.30 in the afternoon, 12.30 out on the West Coast. So, you know, they were annoyed by that. The game had it was pushed back to Wednesday and was pushed back from Tuesday to Wednesday and Sunday to Tuesday and Thanksgiving to, to, to Sunday to Tuesday to Wednesday because of COVID. But having said all that, it was a phenomenal football game, so let's get right into it. Um, the Steelers with the Steelers and the Ravens. Okay, first off, and I understand everyone's going to go crazy and say, well, they didn't have their quarterback. They're both of their running backs, Dobbins, and and the running backs were out, and and they barely had any practice time. And oh, what a job! But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not going to do that. Okay, the Baltimore Ravens straight up and down. Yes, they played well. They yes, they did. They were competitive in the games. So you give them all the credit in the world for that. But at the same time. This the Ravens had multiple chances, multiple chances to steal this game from Pittsburgh, and it also and it has to fall big part on the shoulders of their head coach John Harbaugh with his piss poor uh, time management. I, he didn't use his timeouts properly at the end of the first half down at the goal line. He 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 did not. Oh, his him his timeout use was was awful, awful, awful. But granted, there should have been a delay a game penalty called at the end of the half because the guy was clearly pushing and sitting on top of the Ravens offensive player trying to hold him down because he knew the situation that the Ravens didn't have any timeouts left but I but at, having said that that was a delay a game penalty it should have been on the defense but at the same time the why would you call a run play on the goal line and a goal line formation with 26 seconds seconds left you have no timeouts you need to score at the end of the half to give you some momentum going into halftime I have no idea what Harbaugh and what um, 
The offensive coordinator, Greg Roman, is thinking, calling a run play in that, in that set of circumstances at the goal line with no timeouts left, 26 seconds. I, I don't understand that whatsoever. Also, Harbaugh stupidly called two timeouts when he didn't need to at the end of the game. After Pittsburgh's third and six, with they, which they converted, which was a terrible job by the Ravens' defense, the secondary, the linebackers, the whole bit, he called it. He had called a timeout after that play, and then the next play later, when they got the, when he could, on that first down run to Put the essentially put the game away. He used the timeout there instead of having a two minute warning to work with. He only needed to use one timeout with the two minute. So even okay. So all right. So what? You get the ball back with the. Uh, I'd rather get the ball back with like twenty seconds left and have me have two timeouts and have me get then essentially have no chance of stopping the clock if the defense like it didn't f- fail to stop fail to stop Pittsburgh. So he didn't use his timeouts properly at the end of the half. He didn't use his timeouts properly at the end of the game. Granted, the Ravens defense couldn't stop Pittsburgh on defensively, but he did not use his timeouts well under any, under any circumstances. And I, again, I don't, I do not like that play call at the end of the half, which again should have been uh, a defensive delay, a game penalty on Pittsburgh. But I don't like the fact that he called a run play on the goal line, in a goal line formation, no timeouts left, 26 seconds, and you have to score in that spot. I don't like that whatsoever. Also, another thing, I, I'm not also, and Wilson has to catch that ball also. he had, When that ball hits him right in his hands, he has to maintain possession going on to the ball. That's a bad job on Luke Wilson's part, the former Seattle Seahawks tight end. Also, third and ten, third and ten, Baltimore's ball at 9:44 in the third quarter, 12-7 Pittsburgh at the time at the Pittsburgh 37-yard line, and and the Ravens decide shotgun formation again to to run the football. Are are we kidding me now? Third and ten, Ravens ball, 9:44 left in the third quarter, 12-7 Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh's 37-yard line. Baltimore has, and they decide to run the ball with that stupid asinine little read read option halfback mid draw thingamajig. I don't understand that. Okay, Harbaugh, the you the idea. Do you really think Pittsburgh's defensive game plan was going to change all that much because Lamar Jackson wasn't playing. Lamar J- and Consworth brought this up in the broadcast it, about how it made total sense from a Baltimore standpoint because you don't have to exactly change your entire offense when you have RG3 under center compared to when you have Lamar Jackson under center. So if it makes sense from a Ravens standpoint, wouldn't it make sense from a Pittsburgh standpoint going into that game saying, hey, any and everything they do with Lamar under center, they're going to do the same thing with RG3 under center. So did did they not expect Pittsburgh to see right through that? I don't understand it. Third and 10, Pittsburgh's side of the 50, you're down five points. Pass the ball, Harbaugh. You're in the shotgun. Throw the ball there. I understand your receivers aren't big-time receivers. Throw the ball in that situation. You don't sit up and, and give a halfback draw after shotgun third and ten when you have the ball at Pittsburgh's 37. What are you doing? And then, and then later in the third quarter, they don't block T.J. Watt. They give up a sack they, that they didn't need, let, leaving T.J. Watt. Again, I don't want to hear anything about Harbaugh and Greg Roman as these big offensive geniuses. Okay, you, When you leave T.J. Watt essentially to be un, unblocked and allow that for, I, please, God, I, no, I don't want to hear anymore. Which leads to a third and 21. Baltimore has the ball at their own nine-yard line, and they run a stupid, asinine, Pitch play to the running back hill. For what reason? For what reason? Third and 21 at your own nine-yard line, and you decide to run some stupid halfback toss play after shotgun formation. Are we kidding me? To run some stupid, I I, I can't believe the I'll bet the play call. Third and twenty one, they just essentially just wave the white flag. The game was close. If Pittsburgh's offense would have bothered to show up, you would have gotten ran out the building by halftime. So you really third and twenty one, your own nine yard line, halfback toss to the right. Let's go. 
So I know everyone's going to go crazy. And boy, did the Ravens show a massive effort. What a job. They showed up with half their team either injured or having COVID. They didn't have their starting quarterback. You get no more victories in the National Football League. You don't. You don't, you don't get any moral victories. The Ravens should have won that game. And Pittsburgh, at times in that game, gave, would try to give at least, Baltimore the game. And Baltimore didn't take it. So now everyone's going to gonna wax poetic about John Harbaugh. What a job getting this team prepared, you know, on a wacky week done with COVID and injuries, all this nonsense. I don't want to hear it because say it because he might be the reason why they played hard in the game, but he's also the same reason why they lost the game. His poor time management and the stupid play calls. Third and 10, you have the ball at Pittsburgh's 37-yard line. You decide to run it with a halfback and draw out the shotgun. And then on a third and 21, after you totally ignored T.J. Watt, why the idea of just not even trying or giving the thought to blocking T.J. Watt, I don't understand, which leads to a sack, which leads to a third and 21 where we have a little stupid halfback toss play. Third and 21 at your own nine-yard line, which could have easily been a complete catastrophe. Pittsburgh scores on defense, and the game's over. I, 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 I don't understand it. And again, Pittsburgh was very, very sloppy on offense. Very sloppy. Wide receivers dropping passes, they were sloppy. Big Ben, when you have, when Big Ben's got to throw the ball fifty times a game, odds are that's not that's not a game that that's not a game that Pittsburgh's gonna, gonna be proud of offensively. Ben Roethlisberger was thirty six of fifty one, two sixty six yards passing, threw an interception, threw a touchdown pass. They they couldn't they and again offensively they were not great. Eric Ebron eleven targets, caught seven passes. Deontay Johnson, 13 targets, caught eight of them. So, I mean, Chase Claypool targeted nine times, only caught six. So it wasn't like Pittsburgh uh, had, you know, Terry Bradshaw, uh, uh, Terry Bradshaw, Lynn Swan, and, uh, and, um, and Stallworth. Or the Steelers of old with, uh, or the Steelers of old with Big Ben in his prime, Heath Miller, Heinz Ward, Santonio Holmes. They were not efficient offensively at all whatsoever. They couldn't get anything. They could not run the football for the. They ran for when they had to to put the game away. They could not run the football the majority of the afternoon. Their wide receivers weren't anything to write home about, and Big Ben wasn't exactly stellar in the game either. So I mean, so yes, Baltimore quote-unquote, deserves credit for playing hard and making this a competitive football game. But at the same time, they should have won the game with as many opportunities Pittsburgh gave them in that, in that game. But poor poor play calling and piss-poor time management was the reason why. So I just, I, I it, 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 was, it was terrible. It was terrible. They, they were, Ravens were very, very, very sloppy on offense. Very sloppy. And at the end of the game, that was not a first down. I don't know what the ref. I don't know what the refs in New York are looking at. I don't know what the ref up in the booth is. I don't know what Ron Tobert and his crew is looking at. How they this? How they came up with the fact? How they can as a group, as a unit, decided that was a first down? I do not understand. The the ball is the football is right out here. The football is right here. The 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 stick is right here. That's the that's the amount of distance it was. By that much, and he called it a first down. I I I, I don't understand that. He 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 clearly did not get it. There was about an inch distance between the nose of the football and the sticks. I don't understand. I, I don't understand how that's a first down. And looking at on the replay, on he was short. The ball is in his inside arm, and his opposite arm, the arm that doesn't have the football in it, extends for the first down, while the football is about a good half a yard, half an inch behind where it should be to get the first down. So I understand people are going to go crazy and are going to give the Ravens all sorts of credit. JV squad going on the road, wacky week playing Pittsburgh, division rival, and sticking with them tooth and nail. I understand all that, and they and the guys that that uh, that showed up, the uh, RG three, the the quarterback out of Penn State. They all, don't get me wrong; they deserve credit. Hollywood Brown touchdown pass. Uh, I don't get me wrong. 
But I'm not going to wax poetic about Harbaugh when the same reason why the Ravens were were when he was the same reason why the Ravens were competitive in the game, but also at the same time the same reason why the Ravens lost the game because of his poor time management at the end of the half and at the end of the game, and also the two play calls I don't understand. Third and ten, he decides to run the ball at when he's got the ball at Pittsburgh's 37-yard line, 9:44 in the third quarter, and then when and then he stupidly decides not to block T.J. Watt. Why? no idea doesn't decide to block tj watt leads to a sack in the third and 21 play he runs a pitch pat he a little pitch pass to the uh, to the running back out the backfield down the right sideline which essentially goes nowhere so i, I i'm not, not going to go crazy on harbaugh and i'm not going to go crazy on um on greg roman either just getting started new episode of the i'm tis podcast i'm gonna recap the Sunday action and the Monday night game coming up right after this. Welcome back to the Yamatelica TIS podcast. A little Christmas music in the mix. Good old Bing Crosby as we welcome you back. Um, here to recap week 12, the Sunday action, the Monday night game of the nat- here in the National Football League. Um, starting things off first, number one, which was supposed to be the game of uh, the one o'clock window between the Tennessee Titans and the Indianapolis Colts. Tennessee took care of business against Indianapolis by the final score of 45 to 26. Ryan Tannehill did what he had to do, but that really isn't the story. Derrick Henry, 27 carries 178 rushes on rushing yards on the ground. Three touchdown, three touchdown, uh, three touchdown rushes as well. I mean, and I, and and before I dig into this game a little further, I understand that you know it's a it's a the National Football League today in twenty twenty is driven by offense and it's primarily driven by uh, quarterback play. But my but my goodness gracious, I mean. If if Derek if you would take Derrick Henry off the Tennessee Titans, this team is easily 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 a five six seven win football team. I mean, there are there are so many games where Derrick Henry wins games by himself for Tennessee. It's just it's mind boggling. I mean, this guy is a one man wrecking crew. I mean, everyone in the stadium knows that he's getting the ball. The coaching staff on both sides know he's getting the ball. The 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 the, uh, the people watching at home on television know he's getting the ball. The defense on the field knows he's getting the ball. The off his offensive teammates, the offensive linemen, the receivers, the quarterback know he's getting the ball. And yet, for whatever the reason, because he's that because he's that good, 
team still can't find a way to stop him. So I honestly, and I'm not being crazy, and I don't think I'm being crazy when I'm saying this, Derrick Henry should absolutely get consideration for 2020 NFL MVP. He absolutely should. He should 1,000% be one of the front runners to win 2020 NFL MVP because his Tennessee Titans defense, unlike last year, is not that good. Ryan Tannehill, he's been good this year, but he does not blow you away, and he is not by far under any circumstances the Titans' most valuable, most important, and is not under any circumstances the best player on the team. So you have to give him consideration. 20, 27 carries, 178 yards on the ground, and three touchdowns. You get, This man, time and time and time again, continues to take over football games. And everyone in the stadium knows he's getting the ball, and yet still... And yet, teams still can't stop him. When he had a quiet day against my Bengals three weeks ago, he he still ran over for a hundred. He still ran over a hundred yards. Let me read it. Let me read him to you. Against Cincinnati, he had eighteen carries, one hundred and twelve yards. Yet the Titans still lost the game by by two scores. So I mean, it, it, you know, the the Bears held him in check on uh, November the eighth, and then against Indianapolis in a loss, he ran for over a hundred yards rushing. Against Baltimore, he ran for over a hundred and thirty yards rushing. Again, against Indianapolis, one hundred and seventy-eight yards rushing and and three touchdowns. I mean, this man cannot be stopped, and it's by far. And I understand Mahomes. You take Mahomes off the Chiefs. The Chiefs aren't the same team, and you know, and they and they and and there are times where they win games because Mahomes is their quarterback. But you have, but again, the same th- reason like in the NBA. We all know LeBron James is the most valuable player on his team. But if you give it to LeBron James every single year, there's no point in even having the award. We all know that Mahomes is this, Mahomes is that. But let's give some running back. Let's give the running back some love and give this man Derrick Henry a running back on an obscure Tennessee Titans team. That's not exactly they. They don't win football games the glamorous way. They win them the old school, the old fashioned way with grind them out games, good defensive, good defensive uh, stops on you know good plays on defense, turnovers, and they're more of a ground and pound type of football team. Give Derrick Henry some love for MVP for crying out loud. Because me personally, he and Aaron Rodgers and Mahomes as well, of course, are my top three favorites to win NFL MVP. Henry, Mahomes, and Rodgers. Henry first, Rodgers second, and then give it to Mahomes third. Because this man continues to wreck NFL, opposing NFL defenses time and time and time again, week in and week out. And he did it. And he did it. Um... And he did it, of course, last week against uh, Indianapolis. And Indianapolis, you know, who completely just spit the bit. Philip Rivers, Philip Rivers, twenty-four for forty-two, threw for th- two hundred ninety-five passing yards, two touchdowns, an interception. They couldn't get anything going on the ground offensively. Leading rusher Naheem Hines, ten carries, twenty-nine yards. T.Y. Hilton didn't have a big day, four receptions, eighty-one yards receiving, and a touchdown pass. I mean, it was Tennessee just absolutely, absolutely killed. Indianapolis, and that was a game that Tennessee had to win if they wanted to. Uh, if they wanted to still be in the mix with Indianapolis as far as winning the division is concerned, because if they would have gotten swept by Indianapolis, that would that would have not uh, done Tennessee any favors for uh, as if as far as their AFC South championship uh, division hopes are concerned. That's item number one. Item number two is the Cardinals and the Patriots. The Cardinals who, uh, again, like I said after the Seahawks game, they got the talent. They got great young talent with Murray. Uh, the running back isn't bad. Hopkins, of course, and then the, and Larry Fitzgerald. They got nice talent, and they're going to be a good team f- for a good little while, but they aren't ready yet. And uh, this was a, this was another one, of the, and plus the coach's inexperience, and is a good coach, but as far as the clock management, he really doesn't have it all together there. And that and this game against New England is just one of those games. A young quarterback and a young head coach is not going to more times than not out out outdo Bill Belichick and an experienced veteran like Cam Newton, who is a, who's a little who again past his prime, I guess you could kind of say. 
but knows what it takes to win. I mean, 9 for 18, 84 yards passing and two interceptions is nothing under any circumstance to write home about, and he did not have a big game running the football either. But you got to, but hey, new, who do you want in, with your life on the line? Who do you want coaching your football team? Cliff Kingsbury or Bill Belichick? I rest my case. And that was one of those, and, and last week was one of those times. You have all the props to Cam Newton after, you know, he, he fumbled, came up short in the, uh, in the Buffalo game, came up short against Seattle in week two where he got stopped at the goal line late in that game in week two. And um, and I think and I, he threw an interception, which cost him the game in the last minute drive at home against Denver earlier in the season. So give props to Cam Newton leading the New England Patriots down the field and leading them to a game winning drive. His first as New England Patriot this uh, this uh, NFL season, beating Arizona 20 to 17. The Browns not really going to break down this game that much, but. I'm bringing it up because this is because with Cleveland beating Jacksonville 27 to 25 and proving an eight and three on the season, they clinched their first winning season. Eight or more wins, in case y'all don't understand. Eight or more wins, first winning season for Cleveland since 2007. That's a major accomplishment for a team that was a league laughingstock a short little while ago uh, and went 0 and 16. What in 2016, 2017? So all props go to Cleveland. On that, um, it's Vegas and Vegas and the Falcons. My goodness gracious! I mean, boy, I, I mean the lot. I mean, what was it this time last year where the Raiders got the behinds absolutely kicked, uh, kicked to uh, hell and back by the New York Jets last year when they were flying high after Thanksgiving, looking to make a playoff push, and they absolutely vomited all over themselves. And they did the exact same coming to Atlanta. You know, Derek Carr. Derek Carr had a exactly did a 180 with his phenomenal performance he had in the Chiefs game. He was absolutely horrendous against Atlanta. He was 22 for 34, 215 yards passing. Did not throw a touchdown pass through an interception. Uh, they could not run the football under any circumstances. The big time receivers Hunter Redenfro, Henry uh, Ruggs was not a factor. Derek Carr fumbled the football three times, lost all three of them, so he turned over the football four times. Uh, all together in the game. I mean, Raiders was just absolutely, and and it's especially pathetic considering that Atlanta didn't score their first touchdown of the game till midway through the third quarter. So I mean, Vegas, what a what a pathetic, pathetic performance by that defense allowing Matt Ryan to go crazy by allowing Matt Ryan to go crazy, allowing their defense to score off of uh, Vegas's turnovers and Derek Carr turning over the football nine million times. Uh, the Raiders six and five. I think the and I think uh, that uh, Vegas will fade down the stretch. I think uh, the teams that will get the wild card spots will be the loser of the AFC South division. Um, between either Tennessee and Indianapolis, Cleveland number two, and then I think either, and then I think Baltimore will get the third spot. I think Miami will also fizzle out at the end because of lack of experience. And then I th- and I don't trust the Raiders on any under any circumstances. Yes, they play well against they play well against Kansas City, but the bad news for them is that they don't play Kansas City the rest of the season. They got to play other opponents, and for them to let a lame duck Atlanta Falcons team go on the road and get their asses kicked by Atlanta is an absolute disgrace. Not even bother to put up a touchdown. It, that that that's a joke, and especially. When it held Atlanta tight through the majority of the football game and did not score their first touchdown again till midway through the third quarter, that's another item. Uh, for, that's another item for uh, for uh, Atlanta and uh, the Raiders. Uh, the Chargers and the Bills. Chargers lost this game twenty-seven to seventeen, uh, and this game really is more about Anthony Lynn, who. Oh, this I cannot recall a team that has lost more close games, lost more one possession games than Anthony Lynn and the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. I mean, they, I mean, and they got very lucky to beat Cincinnati Week One. I mean, this team loses more close games than anyone in the history of the sport. And they lost another game because of just piss poor clock management. And I understand he's a good guy, and he and you know, I get his heart's in the right place, and you know, he's a black head coach. So I always want to support and stick up for my uh, fellow black brothers in the National Football League. But Anthony Lynn's got to go, and not the 
position. He's a defensive coach, and typically with a young quarterback, not that it not that it seems like that it's uh, stunted Herbert's Herbert's growth as a uh, proficient quarterback in the National Football League. So I guess the defensive things a little bit overrated because Herbert, with a defensive head coach, has proven that he can excel uh, very well in the National Football League, even with a defensive minded head coach. Boy, I think he's defensive minded, but uh, don't don't uh, don't um don't uh, write that check to the bank with that. But Anthony, but Anthony Lynn's, uh, but but Anthony Lynn's gotta go. Okay, down ten with no timeouts. The Chargers needed a quick. This is after Herbert converted a fourth and a fourth and forever fifty-five yard pass to Tyron Johnson, who caught the ball in a hail mary sort of play at the Buffalo two-yard line. They're down ten with no timeouts. Need a quick score and an onside kick just to have a chance to tie the game. What does Anthony Lynn do? He calls a run play to Austin. Austin Eckler has Herbert hand the ball off to Austin Eckler, who was stopped short of the goal line. So they, so what did, so what do they have to do? They have essentially they got a spike of the ball. They they get they get a chance for one play with two timeouts left. Keep in mind they're down ten, two two seconds left in the game. So uh, so the game is just. It's it's it was just a it was a terrible play call. They wasted they wasted about a good thirty plus seconds off the game clock. Down ten, two seconds left. So even if you get the onside kick, the clock's gonna run on the onside kick alone. So even if you recover it, you have no chance to go down the field to make it a game again. So so he calls calls a run play. Same thing with Harbaugh at the end of the first half against Pittsburgh. The idea of calling run plays when you're down at the uh, the, at the opposition's goal line and you have no timeouts left and you're under thirty seconds is so is just so egregiously stupid. Not enough words. There's not enough words in the English dictionary to 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 uh, further elaborate why. I mean. Harbaugh learned his lesson. Learned his lesson early this afternoon. Why do you call a run play under thirty seconds left in the half or in the game? You have no timeouts left. I don't understand. What does he do? He calls play to Austin Eckler. He gets stopped short of the goal line. What do they have to do? They got to waste time scrambling to 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 get set to to stop the clock. So and then Herbert spikes the ball. They got one play, last play of the game, two timeouts left. They spike the ball, stop the clock with two seconds left. Keep in mind they're down ten. And Herbert does a quarterback sneak while his offensive linemen drop back like they're ready to pass protect and they lose the game. Now that that is so how an NFL head coach makes that makes that piss poor of a of a of a of a mistake at the end of a game where they're down ten. So whatever score they get doesn't. Why not kick the field goal in that situation? You kick the you're down ten anyway. You kick the field goal. You recover the onside kick. So if you recover it, you have you should have more than enough time, at least about thirty something seconds or thirty to twenty five something seconds left to tie the game up with a touchdown. Okay, the uh, so, so why why pressure that hard for the touchdown when you're down ten to begin with anyway? I don't understand it. I mean, it's not like that the touchdown ties the game. It doesn't. You're down 10. You're going to need another score. So why not just take what they give you? You convert on that fourth and a miracle. You catch, he catches the ball at the two-yard line. You get up. You clock it. You kick a chip shot field goal. So if you, by a stroke of God, recover the onside kick, you have more than enough time to drive down the field 40-something yards at the most to go down the field and tie the game up with a touchdown. I I don't understand it. And then down 10 hands the ball off to hands the ball off to Eckler, uses up all the clock. They got to spike the ball 2 seconds left and and Herbert quarterback sneak while his offensive lineman drops back and pass protects and the game ends. I mean, I Anthony Lynn's got to go. And and it's and it's just and and that is not the only and that is not the only time Anthony Lynn has fouled up as far as clock mismanagement is concerned at the end of the games. That's not the only time. Look at look at the Chargers record and the and the last whatever it might be since he's been head coach. This team is pathetic, pathetic in one possession games coming coming down the stretch of football games. Pathetic, pathetic. Kansas City and Tampa Bay the four the Kansas City and Tampa Bay the four o'clock game. Um, 
But before I get to Kansas City and Tampa Bay, you I and I understand and Mike in Orange County, friend of the program, I know he went crazy, you know, getting on me on Twitter about how you know you, you gotta take the Rams seriously after beating Tampa Bay on that Monday night on nonsense. When 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 this team loses twenty three to twenty to Nick Mullins and the lame duck San Francisco 49ers whose season is who as a team is dead with as many injuries that they uh, that they have on both sides of the ball. Garoppolo's out. Bosa's out. I mean, I understand Richard Sherman coming back off of IR for the first time in forever. But when you lose to a Nick Mullins, Nick Mullins-led team and a San Francisco team that's essentially waved the white flag for the 2020 season and is looking forward to competing to win the 2021 championship, I, I can't take the Rams seriously. I'm sorry. I just can't. I mean, I understand, you know, Mike and Orange County wanted to go crazy. Wanted to go crazy about about them knocking off Tampa. That's a bunch of nonsense. Okay, please, not enough. Okay, Brady Brady stuck up the joint, and the and the and the Buccaneers offense and the Buccaneers offense is overrated. So please, and and again, and 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 Jared Goff making nine million turnovers. I'll read them to you here in a minute. And Jared Goff turnover, like I said, average, very very average quarterback at best. Average. Jared Goff, I don't care what Sean McVay says. I don't care. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what my buddy Mike. I'm not interested. Jared Goff is not, under any circumstances, a big-time quarterback. If you watch the game properly and you look at it through an objective through an objective lens, he's not a big-time quarterback. I'll read your stat line in a minute. 19 for 31, 198 passing yards. No touchdown passes and two interceptions, and he fumbled and he fumbled the ball. Three, so three total turnovers. And you don't put the ball in the end, or excuse me, you fumble. How many times did he threw two interceptions and fumbled the ball once? So you got one fumble, you got one fumble and two interceptions. You turn over the football three times and you fail to put the ball in the end zone, and you're getting paid as much money as he's getting paid. I don't want to hear any talk about him being a big time quarterback. Garbage, hogwash. I'm not interested. I I cannot take I cannot take L A seriously as a big time playoff team in the in the NFC West when they can't beat Nick Mullins and the San Francisco 49ers at home. I don't hear any excuses, any gooberish nonsense about the fact when he had a short week and had to travel cross country. Bullcrap. Okay, if Seattle can fly cross country at and play 10 a.m. and play and it wasn't like they were playing a, an a, a an afternoon game Monday night football. So what are they? What are they? Just walking off the practice field at five at five twenty L.A. time. So I don't want to hear it. If Seattle can go eat, fly to the East Coast, whoop, you know, beat beat the you know beat teams that play on the East Coast at 10 a.m. body clock time, why why can't the Rams? I don't want to hear any excuses about the Los Angeles Rams. That's nonsense. Moving over, moving on to Kansas City and Tampa. Kansas City beat Tampa 27 to 24. Um, Kansas City. First of all, the black guy said the Bucks offense is overrated. Tom Brady. Tom Brady led like five straight three and outs in the first quarter of that game. Antonio Brown, Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, Gronk, nowhere to be found. They could not run the football well with Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette. Gronk, well, I shouldn't have said that. Gronk had a decent day, six receptions, 106 yards receiving. Godwin wasn't bad either, but they both were not that big of a factor. The game, the score does not uh, replicate how close of a game it was. The game was really not that close until they scored a touchdown on that. Uh, they scored a, you know, they scored a touchdown on that fourth down play, which made it a little interesting going down the stretch. But the Buccaneers' offense is overrated again. Five straight three and outs at in the first quarter and couldn't get anything going in the first half. The defense also stinks, allowing Tyree Kill to get over a two hundred yards receiving in the first quarter. Something that's only been done twice in the history of the National Football League. Their, their defense also was very overrated, and this team, to a certain degree, is also overrated. They sh- had no business beating. They had no business beating the Giants the Monday before Election Day. They had no business, and um, you know, the, they had no business. They, they lost. 
to uh, they lost to uh, New Orleans twice, and then of course uh, you know Anthony Lynn, you know Anthony Lynn's clock mismanagement bailed him out in the Los Angeles game. I'm not you know they struggled at the, at the beginning of the uh, of the Charlotte game against the Panthers a few weeks back. So this team, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and for Tony Romo to sit up there and to tell America that uh, that, that that we're going to see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Back in, in February is, is also a joke. Uh, Tony, wake up. This team is not under... I understand Brady can get hot in January. I understand. But to sit up there and say, yep, no, yep, clear cut. Tampa Bay's going to the Super Bowl is a bunch of hogwash. It's a bunch of horse manure. Okay, this offense stinks overrated. Could, you know, barely beat the Giants. Lost to, uh, couldn't generate anything on the road against the Bears. Couldn't generate anything at home against the Rams. Stunk at home against the against the Saints at the beginning of at the beginning of November. So uh, the idea, and then and they let Tyreek Hill cook them for over two hundred yards for saving in the first quarter. I don't know anything about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's a bunch of nonsense. And I, and I tell you something else. The rough in, these rough in the passer penalties have to have to be changed or revised now. They they have they have to they have to change. They have to change and they have to be revised. There was a rough in the passer penalty in the Baltimore game, which I didn't like. You know, a simple hit on the quarterback after he throws the ball, they throw a flag rough in the passer. You you know, uh, the defenders had their arms up in the air trying to deflect the pass, and their momentum carries them forward about an extra step and a half, and they accidentally and softly, I might add, hit the quarterback in the head hit the quarterback in the head um with their forearm and they call passing and they call roughing the pass on that one. Or, you know, by accident their hand gets their face mask and if penalty fifteen yards roughing the passer. The league has to change these roughing the passer penalties. It's become too much of a of a murky you know, of, of a murky gray area, like with the pass interference penalties about a, about a few week about a few years back, they got a, a rough. There has to be a distinct. There has to be a distinct definition of roughing the passer, and it can't be you landing on the quarterback. It can't be hitting the quarterback after the ball. None none of this. So, if we're if we're gonna resort to to this softness and and this. And this lack of uh, and this lack of toughness as far as football playing football is concerned, we might as well get get rid of the helmets, get rid of the shorter pads, play either play two hand touch or play flag at this point because because what the game is so it's a they league can't even hide the fact that it's that it's, that it's favoring offense because you because you you touch the quarterback and you get a 15 yard penalty you breathe on them or you look at them wrong you get an automatic 15 yard penalty i understand player safety and all this other stuff but you're taking the physicality part and and the the physicality part out of the game which is not good which is part of the reason why you've become as, as, as big as a brand at, that you have been the last hundred years or so. I understand you want to make it safe. Helmet to helmet, helmet to helmet, I understand. Leaving with your crown with the with the illegal hits, that I get. But you know, a defensive line making a routine, clean, safe, textbook tackle on the quarterback when the ball is you know, five yards out of his hand can't be called rough in the passer. And and it can't be called rough in the passer when a defender with his arms up trying to swat the ball out the air and his momentum because the offensive line he's going up against pushes him into the quarterback or his momentum takes him towards the quarterback. Having the defender's forearm run into the quarterback's head also by accident and, and not very violently also can't be called rough in the passer as well. Or in the 2018 championship game where the Chiefs defender, I forget his name, I think it was Frank Clark, you know, tries to swat the ball out of Brady's hands and he essentially hits him on the shoulder and somehow, some way, that was called roughing the passer. So they, 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 they have to change it and it has to be revised now because I, I got a weird suspicion and, and an intuition that someone is going to get jobbed either in a regular season game that's going to mean playoff positioning and playoff seating or a playoff game or God forbid the Super Bowl, someone's going to get jobbed because of, because of this roughing the passer deal. 
Same way how the Saints got jobbed in the 2018 championship game because the pass interference penalty was murky and went unchecked throughout that entire season. I got a feeling. I got a feeling. Last thing, and then I'll get to the Seahawks. Stop putting, if this is for the NFL, stop putting, can we stop putting the uh, the Chicago Bears on national primetime television, please? They were an eyesore to watch. They were an eyesore to watch against uh, against Minnesota about a week and a half back. They were an eyesore to watch against, uh, against the Rams on Monday night. Can we stop putting the Chicago Bears on primetime national television? I understand Chicago, big mark, and all that nonsense. Can we stop putting them on, please? And, and everyone wants to go crazy about Khalil Mack like he's Mike Singletary. Can we stop putting them on? Can we stop putting the Chicago Bears on, please? Because they were an absolute disgrace, and they did not even bother to show up against Green Bay on Sunday, losing forty-one to twenty-five. I mean, I ha- I can count on my hands how many times I've done this since I've been a football fan, but I can but I cannot recall. A time I cannot recall prior to Sunday, a more recent time where I shut off. I turned off a Sunday night football game before the game ended. I cannot recall a time until Sunday because Bears versus Pat. I understand old time, big time rivalry, and oh my God, give me a break, please. When Aaron Rodgers has done nothing but kick the Chicago Bears behind for the better part of the last uh, 12, 13 years. I don't want to hear anything about big-time rivalry, especially, especially when the Chicago Bears stink, especially offensively. They are an eyesore to watch, an eyesore, an eyesore. So can, can we do America a favor and stop putting the Chicago Bears on national television, please? Prime time because it's getting to be annoying and and and, and I don't want to see them anymore until they, until they get an offense. I don't want to see them anymore. Okay. I, I, I don't, I don't want to see him. I don't want to see him. Seattle and Philadelphia wrap up this segment. Russell Wilson, 22 for 31, 230 yards passing and a touchdown pass. Carson West, 25 for 45, 215 yards passing, two interceptions, a touchdown, uh, uh, two, inter- two touchdowns, one interception through, uh, thrown, an interception. I don't know what the heck Carson West was looking at on that interception play in that game. I mean, boy, has Carson regret uh, Carson regress Carson Wentz regressed or what? I mean, this man, I I don't know. I mean, it was a guy who we was talking about. It was going to be MVP of the league in two thousand and seventeen, and all of a sudden, and, and now all of a sudden, he's hot trash. And if Eagle fans were allowed in the building, they'd be blowing him off the field left and right. I don't know what to do with the Philadelphia Eagles. There are. You know, Carson Wentz, you got to give him another year. Doug Peterson, because he won a Super Bowl, got to give him another year. Howie Roseman, if some, if you gotta say you gotta fire somebody at the end of this season, you gotta fire Harry Roseman for 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 this garbage offensive line that Philadelphia has and passing on time and time and time again elite wide receivers that have gone on to other teams. A lot of DK Metcalf, T. Higgins, Justin Jeff. I read you. I read. I can be here all night reading you the list of names. You know, not getting Carson Wentz any help with an offensive line and not getting him any big-time wide receivers, which are the Eagles' two biggest, um, which are the Eagles' two biggest um, problems on on their football team. Their coach is wacky, thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, and Doug Peterson with the wacky decisions he makes coaching-wise. His piss-poor, terrible, and often injured offensive line, and he has no weapons as far as a wide receiving core is concerned. DK Metcalf did his thing, 10 receptions, 177 yards receiving, and Russell Wilson did his thing as well. I knew the game was going to be closed because it's the Seattle Seahawks. They like to, they like to give their fans uh, their weekly heart attack and like to make things interesting on a week-in, week-out basis, but I knew Seattle was going to deliver the goods against the uh, against the Eagles on uh, Monday night. That is your week 12 recap. Take a break, get to some things as far as the National Basketball Association is concerned. We'll be back with the Armitage Cateas podcast right after this.
Welcome back to the Amtelica TIS podcast. Switching gears now to the National Basketball Association. Couple items on the board for us to get to before we say goodbye. Um, first things first, we begin with uh, some NBA news regarding uh, COVID. Uh, nearly, it's a report um, from the NBA that nearly 50 NBA players in the testing phase from November 24th to November 30th. Uh, this is via the Athletics Shams Sham Sharania reported that there are fifty that that they are forty eight out of five hundred and forty six NBA players that tested positive for uh, the coronavirus during its uh, initial testing phase that lasted from November twenty fourth to November thirtieth. Uh, and listen. If you're the NBA, you know, you're not doing a bubble this time because you can't too many teams involved. Um, so uh, if you're an NBA player, you essentially, you know, have to take lessons from the NFL players and say, look, I cannot go out. I cannot go out to the strip clubs. I can't go out to the clubs, period. If I want something to eat from a restaurant, I have to order it in. I can't go out to restaurants. I can't be, you know, flocking or to around a whole bunch of people. I can't have a lot of people over my house during the holiday season. Can't have a, a lot of people over my house, period. I have to keep my uh, circle of people that are not on my basketball team uh, on a day-in, day out basis. I have to keep that circle uh, very tight and very small to keep to keep myself uh, healthy, safe, and well. I can't, you know, so they have to, they have to, they had they, and granted, it's a lot less people on a, as that makes up a, a NBA basketball team as far as the players and, and, and the personnel, you know, on a roster is about 13 players on the NBA roster football. It's 53. So obviously it's, it's a less amount of people and not that many uh, coaches and personnel with uh, basketball compared to football. Cause football, it's got a lot of injuries and it's a contact sport. You got to deal with equipment and basketball. You don't have to deal with that. So, um, so when they do have outbreaks, and there will be outbreaks, you know, the Marlins and the Cardinals had outbreaks in baseball. The Titans and the Ravens had outbreaks in football. It's you know they're they're going to be outbreaks in the NBA. It's just it's just uh, part for the course at this point. Um, and they're not playing in a bubble like they did the playoffs. So. Uh, so they, the players got to keep in mind, they got to be, they got to be, they can't be selfish. They can't be self-centered and they got to be smart and they got to think about the, uh, they got to think about what's better off for the, uh, for the betterment of the team. And, you know, is going out to the club, eating out, going to the strip club, James Harden, I'm talking to you. Is it going to be really that important when you come back asymptomatic or with symptoms and infect your whole team and wipe out your whole team and affect your schedule and you got to make up games and is it, is, it, is it really worth it? So these NBA players got to keep in mind, you know, what's going to be the best for the team and not, and, and you got to look at and got, and you got to, you can't look at it with a short-sighted angle. Got to think long-term, you know, that you're not trying to cram games in and tiebreakers and you just don't want it to be a complete mess. And you, and the people that you see outside of your team, you want that circle of people to be as small as you possibly can uh, keep yourself tested, keep yourself healthy, practice good hygiene, wash your hands, don't be nasty, don't be filthy, don't be germy. You know, your kids want to go over such and such for the birthday party, you got to tell them tough because, you know, my job, because you know, I'm worth millions of dollars and if I get sick, it's not exactly I stay home for two weeks and everything's all hunky-dory. No, it's going to, it's again, the same thing with the, with the Broncos, you know, a couple guys getting infected, thousands of people are thus infected because of one or two people getting sick. So, you know, these NBA players got to be mindful, got to be cautious, can't be having a whole, you know, they, their children's germy, nasty friends over the house for thanks, you know, for Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, for birthday parties and sleepovers and all that other and all that other stuff. They can't have their kids going over there and then bring it back and risking them getting sick. They just, they can't do it. They can't do it. You basically have to be as sequestered as you possibly can and basically limit the people you come in contact with on a day and day basis to decrease the chances of you getting, uh, of you getting the coronavirus. But 
but the chances of an outbreak happening with no bubble and considering that baseball had an outbreak and football had two outbreaks with two separate teams, NBA, NBA, and because the NBA is going to be playing in the thick of cold and flu season, at least to begin this, it's, it's going to be difficult. And unlike baseball and unlike football where you wear gloves and and uh, you're not and you're not necessarily on top of each other all the time when you're in the field of play basketball you are in a tight knit space indoors not outside and of course they say that the easiest way covid spreads is when is when you're in you know is when you're indoors when you have the air continue, continuously to circulate throughout the building you know you're not getting any fresh air which is why when they tell you to have these gatherings to do it outside so so the COVID essentially isn't isn't trapped within with isn't trapped within uh, four walls, uh, and, and an air vent you know and an air uh, circulator you know through the air which through the air thing, um, which is why you know they, it, which is when it makes sense and even and even sports like football and two teams that and Marlins they play indoors so I I get so actually. But the Cardinals had a huge outbreak. They play outside, and the Titans and the and the Ravens both are play outside, and they come, and they're gonna be playing in the thick of cold and flu season indoors. Basketball is not an outside game; it's an indoor game, and they're all touching the same ball with no gloves on. They're they're all touching the same. They're all touching the same ball with no with no with no gloves on, and they're all bunched up on top of each other. Unlike football, where you know, tackling you might be on top of each other, but the wide but if the wide receiver does his you know, the wide receiver if, not saying that a player with play with COVID on purpose, but if uh, but the wide receivers could have you know, can avoid the offensive linemen. You know, you can the the, the center the center and the point guard are right on top of each other all the time during the game. It's it's just a, a totally different dynamic. That's item number one. I'm number two is the NBA tip off and Christmas schedule uh, was released uh, Tuesday Tuesday uh, December twenty second is when the season kicks off two games on TNT a game at seven a game at ten Golden State at Brooklyn at seven o'clock that's a four o'clock game over uh, in at Oakland time and then seven o'clock local time Battle of L A Clippers at the Lakers uh, that game will be played at the Staples Center. That game also will be on TNT as well. Those are your two tip-off games, Tuesday, December 22nd. The, the day later, you get Milwaukee at Boston, 7.30 on TNT, and then Dallas at Phoenix at 10.30 on ESPN. No games on Christmas Eve that Thursday, and then Friday going up against Vikings and Saints, which will be played, I think, at 4 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 4.30 that afternoon. Uh, you will have games. Uh, you will have games on Christmas Day. Christmas Day lineup is as follows. Uh, they get the they get the Pelicans game out the way early for the uh, for the New Orleans sports fan. Uh, New Orleans at Miami at noon on ESPN. Golden State at Milwaukee at two thirty on ABC. Uh, Brooklyn Brooklyn at Boston at five o'clock on ABC. Dallas at the Lakers at eight o'clock on ESPN. And the Clippers at Denver at ten thirty on ESPN. So if you're a uh, if you're a New Orleans sports fan, you get the you get uh you get the Pelicans at eleven. You get the Pelicans at eleven a.m. and you get the Saints at uh, at three thirty in the at three thirty later that afternoon. Minnesota, you don't have to worry about it. They're not playing on Christmas Day, and uh, you just got the Vikings. You'll be in good shape. But the thing that I realized looking at the schedule is that there's a handful of teams that will not. Let me see. Let me make sure I want. I want to be accurate with this. Um, that might not. Well, might not play their first game of the season until. Um, that might not play their first game of the season until. Um, uh, until the new year. I just want to make sure that I am accurate with that. Um, because they have teams playing, you know, in December. I'm not counting preseason games. I'm talking about regular season games, because they got games going on in December and on Christmas. And it doesn't like the NBA has essentially uh made a schedule past um 
past uh, Christmas Day, which they have not. So they just released the Christmas games and uh, and left it at that. Once again, one more time, uh, you got uh, Christmas Day. You have uh, Pelicans in the Heat, Warriors at the Bucks, Nets at the Celtics, Mavericks at the Lakers, and Clippers and the Nuggets on Christmas. No games Christmas Eve, and of course you have the tip-off nights Tuesday, December 22nd, and Wednesday, December 23rd. And when the NBA schedule releases for its full 72 games, I will be sure to get that on the board here for you. couple of news as far as player movement is involved before, we, uh, before I get to a note with this podcast and say goodbye. Um, LeBron James and the Lakers agree to a two-year $85 million extension that will, uh, that will go through the 2022-2023 NBA season. LeBron James will be 38 years of age by that time. Um, so LeBron is at least will stay put, um, will stay put with the Lakers uh, until uh, yours truly is a what a uh, is a college senior, which is hard, which is which is just crazy, you know. Uh, by the time you you know you, by the time yours truly is a is a, is a junior in college, LeBron James LeBron James started LeBron James's first year in the NBA. I was an infant. And by the time he wraps up, or or at least when this little term wraps up with the Lakers, I'll be I'll be a college junior. And he started his NBA career when I was in, when I was a when I was a baby, an infant. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. But LeBron James gets his dough rightfully so. Greatest player of my generation, uh, argue second, third greatest player in the history of the sport, NBA champion, NBA uh, Finals MVP once again. Give LeBron James all the credit in the world. Uh, Rockets and the Wizards make a trade. Send uh, Russell Westbrook to the Wizards, and the Rockets get John Wall in a trade. Uh, that news broke while I was in the middle of my uh, Ravens and Steelers monologue at the top of the program. So, uh, so both uh, John Wall getting out of a you know who was essentially stuck in Washington gets out from underneath Washington. And uh, Russell Westbrook couldn't get it done. Big surprise with James Harden in Houston. He uh, leaves Houston and now will be a member of the uh, of the Washington Wizards for the 2020-2021 NBA season uh, and beyond. Um, a little item to get to as far as the show is concerned. In the Spotify, because the anchor is uh, anchor is now a, a Spotify uh, is now a Spotify brand. It's now Spotify's uh, podcast baby, and they you know how they have this twenty twenty wrapped of a recap of all the songs and artists and the albums that you've listened to in the past year. A little early for me because it's, we still got. Uh, twenty. You still got twenty something date. What twenty eight, twenty nine days left of the twenty twenty year. You got a whole month left, and we're giving a recap of what we listened to. I mean, there's still a month left in a year. I mean, this would be you know this would be something that 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 should be released on you know Christmas Day, New Year's New Year's Eve. But um, but just to, in case you didn't see it on the I'm talking to is uh social media platforms. This show is listened to in six countries, so I appreciate you all outside the United States that listen to the show. And if I, I happen to teach you the English language along the way, I that's humbling, and I greatly appreciate being privileged enough for the opportunity to teach you uh, foreigners out there the English language, um, and and giving you the lowdown as far as uh, the sports as far as the sports here in the states are concerned. Over four thousand uh four thousand three hundred and forty one minutes of content over fifty plus episodes. Um, when the you know this in the twenty twenty uh, in the twenty in the uh, in twenty twenty. Uh, the first episode I uploaded in the new year was on January the fifth, if I'm not mistaken. And this episode, and the counting this episode, uh, this is episode uh, counting this one, of course, is episode one hundred six, and the and the January fifth episode, I believe, was episode number fifty two. So, and we pass that hundred hundred episode milestone, which is greatly appreciated, and uh, and it's a huge accomplishment. And even through a pandemic, you know, a, pan, a global pandemic in four months and no sports or looking back on it, I don't want to make myself out to be Christopher Mad Dog Russo, but I have to give myself some credit. 
putting out uh putting out and producing uh decent shows for you guys when there is when there was no sports to uh watch or to talk about and to discuss and to recap and analyze and I still uh came through for you guys and provided y'all some content. So even four months of no sports in a pandemic, y'all listened. I greatly appreciate y'all for that and Two years into this show, started September 2018. Here we are, September of 2020, two years later. 100, what, 105, 106 episodes, and I got news for y'all. I'm just getting warmed up, so I thank y'all for listening, and I thank y'all for sharing, subscribing to this show. Uh, and when I'm not done yet. Again, just getting started. Continue to listen, continue to like, continue to, to subscribe, continue to share this with your friends, family, relatives, whoever it might be. Um continue to continue to spread the word and continue to grow this podcast because uh i i got i got goals i got goals and i'm i'm trying to do some big things and uh, this show will, and you all listening out there in podcast land is a huge part of that so i greatly appreciate y'all uh for doing so uh and having said that that ha- puts another episode in the books Thanks for listening to another episode of the Omnitelica TIUS podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatella underscore podcast and the show on Twitter at Amatel underscore it TIS. It's your boy Josh Yells. I will talk to you all on Saturday. Y'all stay safe. Y'all take care. See ya.